What's up, horror fans? Say no to drugs and stay out of the basement. You're listening to Confessions of a Final Girl. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Molly, and before I slither in to tonight's exploration of TV history's greatest Halloween episodes, I have a little confession to make. We interrupt your death metal to bring you some heavy news. So I actually have a lot of ground to cover in tonight's confessional, and I wanted to start by readdressing something I mentioned last week regarding Shudder. Now, once again, I am not in any way sponsored by Shudder. My podcast is way too tiny and unknown for something like that. And I'm sure that all of you were just on the edge of your seats about this. But I think I finally figured out why I was so surprised by some of the things I learned about Shudder last week. Some of you may remember when I first became aware of the new Creepshow series, which was just a few weeks ago, way late in the game, as is par for the course for me, I was really surprised to learn that it was a Shudder exclusive, because I wasn't aware that Shudder had exclusive releases. I also wasn't aware that they produced original content. And in my head, I'm like, man, I was just subscribed to Shudder like three months ago. But when actually taking a step back and thinking long and hard about my relationship with Shudder, I have not been subscribed to Shudder since 2017. So (laughs) three months ago, it was actually like two years ago. Um, I swear, I am my own unreliable narrator. And so all of the information that I provided about Shutter last week was accurate. It was the right information. I'm just embarrassed by how surprised I was by it because my brain sucks and I just have the worst, most ridiculous memory. I also think that I was sort of merging Shutter with Screenbox in my head. I was subscribed to both of those services way back when and neither of them were really anything to write home about at that time. But Shutter, man, they have gotten their shit together and I'm sure that everyone in the world knows this, except for me. I was the last one to figure this out. They have a handful of original films and TV series. They have just a huge laundry list of exclusives. And then on top of that, they have such a great selection of films. They've got um, The Exorcist 3, which is my absolute favorite Exorcist. They have Phantasm, Castle Freak, We Are Still Here, Prom Night and Prom Night 2, Hello Mary Lou, Reanimator, Mark of the Devil. They have Slumber Party Massacres 1 and 2. They have several of the Halloween films, a great selection of Argento and Baba movies. They have It Stains the Stand Red. They also have a, a couple of really great original podcasts. My personal favorite right now being She Kills. I am just super excited. And I I get that I'm late in being excited. But that's, I guess that's kind of my thing. (laughs) My whole thing is finding out about stuff way, way, way after it was a thing and getting super excited about it. So I think it's just time that I embrace that aspect of of my character. So I did resubscribe to Shudder. And I'll be talking a little bit more about that when I get to the creep show portion of this episode, which I'm actually going to be kind of splitting into two parts. So the first part, I will be going over my first impressions of the new creep show based on the first six episodes. And then I will be talking about my favorite Halloween episodes throughout TV history. So I'm excited to get to that. But before I can, on the subject of subscriptions, I want to move on from Shudder and I want to talk a little bit about Loot Crate. Back in June, I was watching one of my favorite YouTubers and he was doing a sponsored segment for Loot Fright, which is, or I guess I should say was, Loot Crate's bi-monthly horror box subscription service. And after years of debating within myself whether or not I was going to try Loot Crate, I finally broke down and decided to. Of course. Of course I decided to try Loot Crate like four or five weeks before they announced that they had filed for bankruptcy. So I subscribed to Loot Fright in June, 
And my estimated shipping when I first subscribed was around the middle of July. And around that same time, I started seeing videos cropping up all over the internet about Loot Crate filing for bankruptcy and being bought out by a slightly different collectibles company and that they were going to be given a rebranding. And I also started seeing tons of videos about shipping delays and boxes just not being received. And I still hadn't received my box. So I started kind of watching my shipping like a hawk. Every week, they kept pushing the estimated shipping date forward further and further. So finally, two weeks ago, I sent an email to their customer service just saying like, hey, and I had canceled my subscription service like halfway through August because they were about to charge me for another month. But I, you know, I still hadn't received my July box. So I canceled my service and they had promised me that I would receive the box that I already paid for. But October still haven't gotten it. So I sent the email and they replied to me with a very long contradictory message. I didn't, the email was frustrating. On one hand, they were saying that they had no idea why I hadn't received my box. But then in the following paragraph, they announced very proudly, like, guess what? We're shipping boxes again. So that that didn't make much sense to me. At no point throughout the email did they say anything about the company having filed for bankruptcy or, or coming under new ownership, you know, nothing like that. And they didn't take any direct responsibility for the shipping delay either. I decided to wait a little bit longer and I checked my estimated shipping last week and the date had been changed to even further into this month. So now the estimated shipping is like the end of October. Um, so I sent them a second email. This time I was a little outwardly frustrated and this was only intensified when I received their second response, which was basically just an exact copy of the response they had sent me the first time, only the second email contained a screenshot of my estimated shipping date. So needless to say, I'm a little upset about the Loot Crate situation. And I mean, obviously, the timing was really terrible on my part. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because right now, this seems to be the norm for Loot Crate subscription services. Very few people are actually receiving their boxes and those who are receiving them are receiving them months after they've paid for them. And a lot of the boxes that people are receiving, they also seem to contain predominantly recycled items from you know previous boxes and previous years. Most importantly, the biggest reason I wanted to tell this story is because if you go to the Loot Crate website, you can still sign up for their subscription service. There is nothing on the site at all that indicates that there will be long shipping delays. It doesn't say anything on their website to indicate that there is a problem with Loot Crate at all. So I just wanted to put out an additional word of warning. I know a lot of people all over the internet since August have been offering up these words of warning, but I wanted to toss my two cents in as well. So if if you were thinking for one reason or another about subscribing to a Loot Crate service, I beg you not to do that because all you would be doing is just throwing your money at them and and they would be eating it. That seems to be what's happening. It's an unfortunate state of affairs, but I suppose it is what it is. On a positive note, I am really happy to announce that the Halloween edition of the Omaha Oddities and Art Expo is almost upon us. It's going to be happening next weekend on the 26th and the 27th of October at the Doubletree downtown. Anyone in the Omaha area should totally come out. Help us support our friend Mel from Spiteful Bathworks. She makes these really great spooky bath bombs, um, among other things. She's so talented and creepy, and I love her. There will also be a live performance from Dr. Sanguinary's Creature 
another feature, which I was fortunate enough to get to see at the Scream in the Dark Film Festival back in 2015. There's also going to be some kind of a demonstration from the Fontenelle Forest Raptor Recovery. I don't know what that is exactly. I know that it involves birds of prey, so, you know, like vultures and owls and hawks and things, and I'm really excited for that particular demonstration. I don't know what to expect, and I... I could not be happier about that. I know that the Enigma made an appearance at one of the Oddities Expos last year, and I don't think that he's coming to this one, but I do know um, that there are several sideshow performances. There's the Chaos Sideshow, lots of like fire performances and some aerialists. So yeah, I think it's going to be a great time. Probably going to try to pick up a couple of nice taxidermy items. I saw some really great stuff last year that I couldn't afford, so I've been saving up. And I, uh, I'm not leaving the expo without something. At least a little mouse and a top hat, you know, just, just something. I'd really like to make a video of the event that I can post on Patreon. Which brings me to my last point of order. Before I wrap up this particularly long confession, um, I really want to thank my patrons Xerxes, Eli, and Suzy Q. I created my Patreon the day that I decided to stop calling this an audio blog and, and start calling it a podcast, start taking it seriously as something that I would really like to turn into a thing. And I did not expect that anyone would pledge to my Patreon so early in this project, and I definitely didn't think I would get three patrons in the first week. I'm so grateful to the three of you. But I'm really glad that... Um, when you pledge to a person's Patreon, you you aren't actually charged for that pledge until the first of the, the following month, because I really need these next couple of weeks to get some patron-only content together, because I feel completely unprepared. I tried to be as conservative as possible in creating the tier rewards right now, because this is a passion project. I'm going to be doing everything I can over the course of the next two weeks to make sure you guys have some good patrons-only content next month. And also, coming in November, because the three of you pledged so damn much. I actually already hit my first pledge goal, which is just insane. You people are insane. I, I love you so much. Because of you, I have met that first pledge goal, which means that starting next month, I will be posting a monthly poll where you guys will get to choose some of the things that I talk about, which I'm very much looking forward to. So Loot Crate notwithstanding, lots of really great stuff happening in October. This is why this is my favorite month of the year. Be sure to stay tuned until the end of this episode for my Discord and Patreon information. And while I will be avoiding spoilers for the creep show discussion once i get into the halloween tv episodes list there will be spoilers ahead all right creep show 2019 i love it first and foremost just want to lay that out on the table. I love this series so far. Now, last week I did refer to it as a 12-episode series. That was my misunderstanding. It is actually a six-episode series, and each episode features two stories. And right now, the first three episodes are available on Shudder. Now, they're not all amazing, but for the most part, I think that they are. Oh, they're just, they're so good. What I like most about the show so far is that it is every bit as campy as the original creep show. They're not giving us an edgier, darker 21st century kind of storytelling here. It's not like creep show meets Black Mirror. It's it's nothing like that. It is cheese and chills in equal measure, comparable to the original through and through. Any of these stories, I could see them very easily being lifted out of 2019 and dropped right into 1982. And I'm so glad that they went in that direction with it. I'm glad that they chose to preserve what 
at least for me, is one of the most memorable things about Creepshow. They did a great job of keeping that alive here. I would personally recommend for anyone watching this series for the first time to start with the second episode, because the first episode, uh, which features the stories Grey Matter and the House of the Head, are they're, it's my least favorite of the three. And Grey Matter, the first of the two stories told in that first episode, is my least favorite in the series thus far. It is the one that I really just didn't like. So to start the series with that episode and, and to start that episode with that story, I felt was a little odd because it is not the show's greatest strength by a mile. And I was really surprised that I didn't like Grey Matter more because it was written by Stephen King, directed by Greg Nicotero, and it's the episode that features Adrian Barbeau, Tobin Bell, and Giancarlo Esposito, who I didn't even realize was in the series until that episode started. So it had so much going for it. It features so many of the people and things that I love. I was just so surprised, but I, I didn't care for it at all. It's a, a kind of what for me... <sighs> is sort of like a throwaway story about a young boy dealing with his father's alcoholism and that alcoholism evolving into something much scarier. And I mean, so on its surface, it's just like, okay, it's a story I think I've actually seen told by Stephen King already in like a half a dozen ways. But more than that, it felt like it was very sloppily adapted. You have this young boy who lives in a very small town that has been largely evacuated due to a hurricane. And the, the young boy shows up to the local grocery store wherein the grocer, played by Adrian Barbeau, the town sheriff, played by Tobin Bell, and the town doctor, played by Esposito, are all sitting around, kind of like the last people standing as the storm rages outside. Adrian Barbeau is in the story quite a lot, so that was nice. It was just nice to see her. We didn't get nearly enough of Tobin Bell or Giancarlo. Like, I wanted way more of them <laughs> than we got. But the story, um, it does have a kind of Lovecraftian element to it, and it's definitely a little disturbing at times. I think you can tell that it was one of the two Nicotero stories of, the, of this first six, uh, just from some of the grotesque qualities that develop as the story unfolds. And I did think it was kind of cool to get to see Adrian Barbeau play this sort of seaside small town resident again, because one of my favorite performances from her will always be Stevie Wayne from The Fog. So it was really kind of cool to get to see her play a character in a similar setting. But yeah, not my favorite story. Um, Everyone that I have recommended the show to personally since I watched it, I have kind of advised them to start with either the second or third episode. I mean, this is an anthology series. You do not have to watch these episodes in order. And I think if you want to start things off with a bang, definitely start with episodes two or three. Or maybe just watch the second story before watching the first in this particular episode. The second story, The House of the Head, was written by Josh Mailerman and directed by John Harrison. Uh, John Harrison was the assistant director for the original Creep Show, as well as Day of the Dead in 1985, and he also directed Tales from the Dark Side in 1990. And Josh Mailerman wrote Bird Box. So much like Grey Matter, this story has a lot going for it from the off. This story was heavily featured in, in uh, a couple of the trailers for Creepshow. A little girl is given an extravagant dollhouse by her parents who are encouraging her to play with it as a tool for discovering her own identity. Um, and she fills this house with 
dolls that represent a small family. You have a mother, a father, a young boy, and a dog. And very quickly, she discovers an unwanted guest of sorts in the dollhouse, and she watches as this gruesome series of events occurs within the dollhouse. I thought the story itself was very cool, and I really enjoyed a lot of the visuals. Some really great, really creepy shots. It was just a neat story, and the little girl played by Kaylee Fleming, she did such a great job. She was so engaging. I, I just, I couldn't wait to see how she would react next to certain situations. I felt for her. She was just, she did a wonderful job. It was an eerie story. I think one of the more modern feeling stories in the film. I know I've kind of harped quite a bit on the retro nature of this version of Creepshow, and it definitely is predominantly that. But I feel like this particular story felt a little more modern. Then the next episode, which features the stories Bad Wolf Down and The Finger, definitely my favorite thus far in the series. I loved both of these stories. They just, oh my god, they were wonderful. I actually watched this episode, and then as soon as it was done, I watched it again. So I watched this episode twice before moving on to the third. And these two stories, I personally feel, are the most well-suited for Creepshow. This is why I'm recommending this episode to people who are just watching it, because I feel like it's the most representative of the Creepshow spirit. So Bad Wolf Down uh, was written and directed by Rob Schrab, and he's worked on a variety of projects from directing episodes of Community and Parks and Rec to co-writing the earliest version of the script for the film Monster House. And from those credentials, I don't think I ever would have imagined this episode emerging. I was so pleasantly blindsided by it. Bad Wolf Down tells the story of a company of American soldiers during World War II who find themselves cornered in an abandoned jailhouse after murdering the only son of a Nazi general, played by the unrequited love of my life, the ever-remarkable Jeffrey Combs. And I am not just saying that this is my favorite episode because it is the episode that features Jeffrey Combs, but, you know, I'm not going to deny the connection between Jeffrey Combs and exquisite content either. If you force me to risk the lives of my men, to your 50 hides, you will die in unimaginable agony. I your response. So it's a it's gruesome though, and it definitely exceeds all others, with the one possible exception being Grey Matter on the gore front. It is very gory and very well done in its gore. It's got a, a real comic book feel to it, which is again one of the reasons I feel that this story is best suited for creep show, because it does feel like something you could have lifted directly out of a comic book. And I think that it's one of the more cleverly written episodes, one of the more charismatic. The story itself has a very like mythical quality to it. It's whimsical in a way. And as I said, very gruesome, very horrific. I couldn't get enough of it. And I feel very similarly about the next story in this episode, which is The Finger, written by David Shaw and directed, again, by Greg Nicotero. I didn't actually know who David Shaw was by name until I saw this episode and was uh, poking around on the internet for information about him. He actually co-wrote the screenplay adaptation of The Crow in 1994. And he also contributed both directly and indirectly to a bunch of other great films and two episodes of Masters of Horror. And that's just really scratching the surface of his writing career, which further includes, I think, 10 novels, at least a dozen short stories, and a handful of nonfiction books. This is a guy with huge writing credits. And I think that that is very evident 
in the writing of this particular episode. It is also the episode that features DJ Qualls. And DJ Qualls is one of those actors that seems to always be just off to the side or just in the background in a lot of things that I have loved over the years. Most notably Supernatural, he plays the character of Garth, who just hands down was just one of the best, most memorable characters of the show. But I didn't realize until I was watching The Finger that I had never seen him like in a lead role where he is just carrying the entire story. It's all about DJ Qualls. And in this case, that's that's exactly what this story is. He's essentially the only person in this story. I mean, there are a couple of people that you see toward the end and in the background um, and through photographs and things. But um, but this is this is a DJ story. It is the story of a man who is going through a divorce or he has gone through a divorce. He is very, he's a bachelor, he's unhappy, he's lonely. And uh, he has an interesting pastime of going around the city and finding lost or unusual objects. And um, one fateful night, he finds a finger. And this finger, it's definitely not human. And it begins to grow into something more than a finger. This is such a hard episode to talk about without spoiling. I'm not going to spoil anything, but it just means I'm going to have to kind of move on a little quickly from it because so much of what happens is sort of dependent on what this thing turns into. And I just don't even want to spoil that. It is a very funny story. And that I think was just the perfect combination of the excellent writing from Shao and the fantastic comedic acting from DJ Qualls. So it is very funny, but also a little scary and a little gory. So it's just got everything in it. I wish I could talk more about it, but I can't. Just just know that the second episode of Creepshow is just, it is my absolute favorite and I cannot recommend these stories enough. So moving on to the third episode, this features the stories All Hallows Eve and The Man in the Suitcase. Now these stories, I actually felt that both of them, um, the former more than the latter, but both actually felt like they would have been best suited for like, are you afraid of the dark or goosebumps? Something that is geared specifically at teenagers. You ever consider cleaning that piece of shit outfit? You ever consider kissing my Halloween ass? Which again, I mean, that also upholds a lot of the spirit of Creepshow. So definitely great choices with these stories as well. All Hallows Eve was also directed, again, by John Harrison. This story kind of feels like if you took Are You Afraid of the Dark and mushed it together with the two-part Halloween episodes from the first season of American Horror Story, there's a lot of kind of both of those things going on. You have a group of kids, teenagers mostly, who meet up on Halloween night, each of them dressed in a very different costume. You've got a devil and a witch and, or at least I think she was a witch, uh, a chimney sweep, just a, a skeleton, but like with a skeleton hoodie, which is a costume that I have worn on more than one occasion on Halloween. And then you have a much younger kid that is sort of a part of this group who's dressed as a classic ghost with just the sheet and the, the holes cut out for the eyes. And these kids meet up on Halloween. You get the impression through their dialogue that they meet up every Halloween and that it's something they're all kind of tired of doing, but that for one reason or another, they're obligated to do it. And then we watch them sort of carry out this ritual. And it's it's an interesting story. It is a predictable one, but it is a very good story. I really enjoyed watching it. It was a little moving as well. And then you have the second story in the third episode, which is The Man in the Suitcase, which which is by far the weirdest story so far. It was written by horror novelist Christopher Buhlman and directed by David Bruckner. And 
it tells the story of a young man who was recently dumped, who has gone back to his hometown to get some money. I, I get the impression he was, his plan is to like borrow money from his father so he can take the money back to his ex-girlfriend and kind of support her in, I guess, a way that he wasn't able to before. You get the impression immediately that his girlfriend is a shallow asshat. But then again, he doesn't really seem like much of a self-starter either. This is one of those stories where like everybody in it is kind of a bad person. But I did, in spite of myself, end up feeling badly for this kid, you know, by the end of the story. So he, he takes a plane and goes back, but he ends up at his apartment with his luggage. And his luggage turns out to contain a person. <laughs> a very compact, broken man is stuck in his luggage. And he asks the young man to help him out. While being pulled out, the man in the suitcase starts spitting out gold coins. And it turns out that this man spits out gold coins whenever he is in pain. That's all I can say about this one. It's a uh, it took a couple of unexpected turns. Definitely, as I said, the strangest story in, in the series, but I, I enjoyed it. You know, I thought it was, thought it was cool and weird and cool. <laughs> so apart from the second episode, which I did watch twice, um, those were my first impressions of the new Creep Show series that we've been given thus far. I am very excited for the next three episodes. I cannot wait. I hope that you guys out there watch it too, and I hope that you like it as well. I don't know how someone who didn't grow up on Creep Show will feel about this series. Now that I've seen it, I will be reading and watching some reviews on the series thus far, so that'll allow me to have a better insight into how other people are feeling about it. But I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, I hope you do too. I realize I don't have to tell anyone that Halloween is my favorite holiday, especially those of you that I know are listening to this, because I know it's your favorite holiday too. I think most of the people who would be inclined to listen to a podcast like mine worship Halloween, just like I do. And one of the reasons that I really love watching television around this time of year is because it isn't just us dressing up in costumes and going out and, and pretending to be something we're not in the spirit of Halloween. Our favorite TV shows, and by extension, our favorite characters, are doing this as well. And that, ever since I was a kid, and I think it's this way for a lot of people, has always been a very magical experience for me. There's no better word for it. it it's magical. And it isn't just our favorite TV shows. It, it's it's like this all over. I love I love Halloween for so many reasons. And I know you guys get it. You, you totally feel me. But like, I'm a horror fanatic 365 days out of the year. The reason I created this podcast is because I just want to talk about scary movies all day, every day for the rest of my life. That's my dream. And even though I, I do live in a bit of an echo chamber, like a lot of us do, being a fanatic of anything can feel a little lonely at times because even my friends who love scary movies don't necessarily want to talk about them every single time we hang out. But in October, everybody is a horror fanatic. Everybody is watching scary movies, talking about scary movies. Our local Alamo Drafthouse Theater is hosting horror parties all month. I actually just went to their Army of Darkness party last Friday, and it was it was awesome. They showed trailers for Phantasm and Rabbit and Demons. They also showed this really cool uh, Fangoria featurette starring Angus Scrim from Phantasm. And the whole theater was sold out, and everybody got a foam chainsaw hand. And next to me were these three guys. They had driven all the way from way out west, which in Omaha, the further out west you go, the more like 
stuffy it gets. These were like normal, way out west kind of posh guys. And they were sitting next to me, screaming their heads off during the movie. They shared their popcorn with me. And on the other side of me was this couple that were on like their third or fourth date. And the girl really hated horror movies, but she loved Army of Darkness. And she was screaming a lot. It was great, man. It was just so great. Living in a town like Omaha, um, that is a wonderful town, but it is very much a small town for such a big city. That's not an experience I'm likely to have on a regular basis. And it just reminded me of how much I love Halloween because everybody's in the spirit, you know? Now, I don't talk about TV much here because I I want to kind of focus on film for the most part for confessions, but I am an avid fan of television as well. I'm particularly fond of The Twilight Zone and Night Gallery, which are my two favorite shows. Uh, I also really love all of the Star Trek series leading up to and including Voyager, Battlestar Galactica from 2004, its final season notwithstanding, and most recently Black Mirror. These are just, it's a small handful of some of the shows that I love, and I'm excited to talk about quite a few more in this list of my top nine Halloween TV episodes. For this list, I have chosen Halloween-themed episodes that occur as part of a regular season of a TV series. In a couple of cases, the episodes aren't actually set on Halloween, but they were released either in or around October. So they are seasonal and are just so perfectly suited for Halloween that I I couldn't not include them. But on account of that criteria, I won't really be talking about any standalone Halloween specials like Garfield's Halloween Adventure, It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, or even like the David S. Pumpkin's Halloween special. If I were going to include standalone specials, the David Pumpkin special would be like way at the top of my list. But I thought I would kind of try to focus on that concept of some of my favorite TV shows, putting on Halloween costumes, much like I do, and heading out into the night. As with my summertime movie list, I tried to focus on episodes that are often overlooked, although there are a couple that are too fitting to exclude. This was a very difficult list to narrow down. I think when I first started, I had over 20 episodes that I wanted to talk about, but obviously that's just way too many. So after painstaking deliberation, I've settled on this final list. This list, by the way, is in no way in any kind of order. As I said, it was a difficult list to narrow down. I'm not even going to attempt to actually choose a favorite. And I'm going to try my best not to spoil anything wherever possible. But there are a couple of spoilers moving forward. So I I will warn you when we cross those bridges. At number nine, we have Monster Movie from Supernatural. So you guys are like Mulder and Scully or something, and the X-Files are real? (laughs) No, the X-Files is a TV show. Monster Movie isn't technically a Halloween episode. It is an Oktoberfest episode, but Oktoberfest is close enough to Halloween that I'm counting it because I can't not include this episode on this list. It feels like a Halloween episode much more so than any of the actual Halloween episodes we got from Supernatural. In my opinion, it's just Monster Movie is the best. It is so great. Now, I know that I said that I wanted to focus on shows that don't normally wear their Halloween costumes, and Supernatural is a horror show. Um, essentially. But that doesn't mean that it's a Halloween type show because a lot of the time it is not. Monster Movie premiered on October 16th, 2008. It is the fifth episode of the show's fourth season, which is the first of what I feel is the three seasons long golden era of Supernatural, although I know a lot of people out there would disagree with me. I knew 
that this episode would be something special from the very beginning, as it is the only one they ever aired in black and white. And that's that's my weakness. I know that. I fucking love black and white episodes of shows that are not normally in black and white. I, I don't know what it is. It just does it for me. In this episode, Sam and Dean head out to Pennsylvania to investigate the death of a young woman who appears on the surface to have been killed by a vampire. What's odd about her death is that it definitely looks like a vampire killed her in a very classic Hollywood sense, which does not accurately reflect the way vampires kill in the supernatural universe. Vampires in the supernatural are much more animalistic. They're just, they're vicious. But this girl, she's dead. She's got the two little dainty fang bites on her neck. And it just, it looks more like she was killed by like Dracula. And as the boys look further into it, they begin to realize that Dracula Classic may actually be in town and may not be the only player in town. The mummy and the wolfman seem to be making deadly appearances at Oktoberfest as well. And of course, as things progress, we learn the truth. Um, but the journey to the end is just pure spooky fun every step of the way. I really don't want to give away too much, but at one point, Dean finds himself in Lederhosen, chained up in a lab modeled after Frankenstein's lab, and his reaction to his situation is just classic Ackles. It's so, it's hilarious. The episode is part murder mystery, part horror story, part romance. It's the perfect tribute to old Hollywood horror. Number eight, Death Takes a Halloween from Night Court. You know, it occurs to me that you and I have something in common too. Yeah? Yeah, something about how we affect the destiny of others. Well, I guess you're right. Although you've got it easy. I mean, when you put them in jail, they know there's an out. Where I take them, it's a one-way ticket. Weirdly enough, this list actually consists of not one, but two courtroom comedy Halloween specials. I was pretty surprised by this. I grew up loving Night Court. It was one of my first favorite sitcoms, along with WKRP in Cincinnati. And as I'll talk about in a bit, The Dick Van Dyke Show. Um, Death Takes a Halloween, which is a reference to the 1934 film Death Takes a Holiday, is the fifth episode in Night Court's eighth season. The episode was written by Harry Anderson, Judge Stone himself, and it aired on October 26th. 1990, and it features Stephen Root as a self-proclaimed Grim Reaper who is brought before Harry on a minor charge and jailed for contempt of court. Root insists that Harry set him free, as people will inevitably stop dying if he is behind bars. Very soon after this, rumors do begin to surface about, you know, people around the city as well as, like, animals and bugs surviving accidents that they just shouldn't. They're just not dying. Like, at one point, they remarked that they're playing tiddlywinks down in the morgue because nothing is happening. One of the best things about this episode, apart from getting to see some of my favorite characters from Night Court in costume, which we see a lot in the, the beginning of the episode, one of the other things that is just so great about it is Stephen Root. He and Harry have a very long conversation in Root Cell, and he gives such a great performance, especially when you consider that this was written for a sitcom. It's a surprisingly moving episode. It's got some really great stuff in it, and Stephen Root is just phenomenal. Also, it's just, it's Night Court. Night Court was fucking awesome. As was the next show on my list, uh, number seven. The episode is called Trick or Treat from Boston Legal. There's this house in Salem. It's famous in an underground kind of way. For Halloween, uh, I'd like to do it up for real. Now, Boston Legal is a show that I never thought I would love as much as I do, but 
I really do. It's, uh, it was such a great series. Trick or Treat isn't the only Halloween episode that the show had, but I think it's definitely the best, predominantly because of the Daniel Post storyline, which comes to a sad yet surprisingly hilarious end on everybody's favorite holiday. The episode aired on October 31st in 2006, and it is the seventh episode of the show's third season. I can't talk about this episode without spoiling something in it. I'm sorry. So spoiler ahead, it just doesn't make any sense without the context. So Boston Legal saw a myriad of great characters come and go during its five-season run. And among the best of those characters was Daniel Post, played by Michael J. Fox, a very wealthy and endlessly charming man struggling with terminal lung cancer who seemed to be continuously sued for various illegal efforts to save his own life. And during one of these lawsuits, he comes under the representation of Denise, played by Modern Family's Julie Bowen, and the two begin an ill-advised but fascinating romance which lasts until Post's death, which we learn about at the beginning of Trick or Treat. Denise is first informed of Daniel's death via mariachi band at her office, as was Daniel's way, and she knew this was coming, but she still wants closure, and this leads her on a bizarre scavenger hunt as Daniel's remains were stolen and quickly sold off on the black market which is very appropriate for the kind of person that Daniel was, the way he lived his life once he got his diagnosis. Denise spends most of the episode tracking down various body parts that may or may not have belonged to Daniel, and then ends up in this extreme haunted house in search of his head. It is a sad episode, it is, especially if, like me, you were a big fan of Daniel and Denise. But it's also the most fitting end for that character, and it's rife with crazy, funny Halloween hijinks, especially once Denise um, and Shirley, played by Candace Bergen, end up at the haunted house. It's fantastic. Plus, you get to see a lot of the other cast members dressed in costume, which was always a good time on Boston Legal. They really went the extra mile for Halloween fun at Crane Pool and Schmidt. Number six on this list... <laughs> I swear to God, my top five is going to be a little bit more recognizable to people, but Night of Shadows from Sequest DSV. I am the captain of the George. Its fate is mine. I want you off my ship. Oh, yes. I am, in fact, including an episode of Sequest on this list. And not just any episode, the Halloween episode, of course, which is just, it's, it's so bad, guys. It is really, really bad, but I adore it. I could watch it every day for weeks and never tire of it. For anyone out there listening who may not have seen it, which is totally understandable, Sequest DSV was a short-lived sci-fi series created by Rockne O'Bannon, who also created both Farscape and Defiance. The series aired on NBC from 93 to 96, and it could best be described as Star Trek Under the Ocean. That's the best way that I know how to describe it. It's really the only way I've ever described it. I am a big, big fan of the first season of Sequest, which starred Roy Scheider as Nathan Bridger, captain of a world-famous submarine in a future wherein humans have colonized the Earth's oceans. Um, the show also features a multilingual and endlessly adorable Ted Raimi, the late Jonathan Brandis as a snarky boy genius, and a talking dolphin named Darwin. Released on Halloween in 1993, Night of Shadows sees the crew of the Sequest, whose primary objective 
uh, isn't too different from that of the Enterprise, exploring a long sunken ship after a ghostly message wakes Bridger up in the middle of the night. The crew embark on an eerie deep sea investigation and find themselves tangled up in a deadly love triangle between three restless ghosts. The story is truly engaging, and things take a few fun and creepy twists and turns on the road to a resolution. Sequest was known for mixing a healthy dose of real-world science in with its science fiction, and this episode garnered particular praise from the scientific community for its representation of nitrogen narcosis, also known as the Rapture of the Deep, which is a pretty creepy name to begin with, and it's a really great way to tell a ghost story on a show like this, as nitrogen narcosis behaves a lot like strong drugs in the brain, so we get an element of the unreliable narrator here, which I just, it was really cool and crafty for a show like Sequest, though I mean, it's delivered in the cheesiest way possible, but I find it really entertaining and interesting. Next up, number five, we have Horror Fiction in Seven Spooky Steps from Community. And she ripped into his torso like a gerbil shredding a Quaker Oats box, sending chunks of viscera and an aerosol mist of blood all over the skinky concubine. I know that for most people who have seen Community, epidemiology is the preferred Halloween episode. It's the favorite. Everybody loves epidemiology. And I do really like it as well. All of Community's Halloween episodes are great. I mean, really dressing up in costume was, was Community's MO anyway, <laughs> like even without Halloween, but they really just outdid themselves with their Halloween episodes like every time. So Horror Fiction is the fifth episode of the third season of Community. And during this time, the character of Britta has changed her major to uh, psychology and she throws a pre-party for the study group on Halloween night, then pulls Jeff aside and tells him that these anonymous psych tests that she had the group take returned a psychotic result. In an effort to root out which of their friends has homicidal tendencies, she sits them all down and tells them a scary story to gauge their reactions. This, of course, turns into a competition to see who can tell the scariest story, and each story is enacted by the cast in the language in which it's told. That's my favorite thing about horror fiction. So we get a bunch of horror stories, each of them being told by a different character, and the other characters are a part of these dramatizations of the stories that are told in the language of each character. I love it. I think it's so brilliant and bloody entertaining. Of all the episodes on this list, I think this is probably the best standalone Halloween episode. So if you haven't seen Community at all, I think you could easily appreciate it all by itself. Um, my favorite story told within this episode is definitely Abed's, which is this pragmatic take on the Cabin in the Woods trope, determined to force its characters to earn their deaths by first making good choices. The episode is honestly worth a watch also just to see Annie's sordid tale of a vampire who can't read turn into just an all-out gore fest uh, in her mind. It's, it's pretty incredible. Number four on my list is an episode that I have seen cropping up all over the internet for the last couple of years on Halloween. So this is the one episode that a lot of other people have included on their list, and that is Fear Itself from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I was just thinking about the life of a pumpkin. Grow up in the sun happily entwined with others. Then someone comes along, cuts you open, and rips your guts out. 
I have to include this because it is really just one of the greatest Halloween episodes ever created by anyone, in my opinion. Even if you aren't a fan of Buffy, which if you aren't, what is wrong with you? Do you need a hug? I mean, can I help in some way? Is your chest just like a hollow shell? Even if you don't love Buffy, you'll probably love this episode, as it just does everything a Halloween episode should do. More importantly, it's actually fairly creepy. It's the fourth episode of the show's fourth season. It sees Buffy and the gang trapped in a frat house on Halloween night, the unwitting victims of an ancient evil hell-bent on bringing their worst fears to life. The whole thing starts when Oz accidentally cuts himself while helping set up for the party and unknowingly bleeds on what they think is a decorative symbol, but it turns out to have been taken from a very real book of demonic magic. Later that night, when he and the Scoobies return to the house for the big event, the doors and windows disappear, the house separates them, and they are forced to confront the things that scare them the most. In addition to what I believe is a pretty scary premise, we also get to see the gang make their way through a pretty impressive haunted house for a few minutes, which is just fun. Especially because much like Supernatural, Buffy is more than anything a horror show. And so to kind of see the campier Halloween side of horror in Buffy is always a great time. This is another series that just churned out one great Halloween episode after another. We also learn a very pertinent bit of information about one of the show's characters in this episode, which that Anya is terrified of bunnies. This was a detail so beloved by everyone that it became a running gag that lasted right up until the very last episode of the series. Oh, we also learned that Giles owns and knows how to use a chainsaw. So that, that alone, it's such a great episode, man. I mean, Buffy is well-suited for Halloween in general like I said, much like Supernatural. And honestly, the fact that Buffy's Halloween episodes are actually able to stand out among so many episodes that deal with really scary stuff is saying something. And fear itself stands out above all the rest. Number three, The Hauntening from Bob's Burgers. What's the matter, Louise? You don't like being scared? Are you kidding? I would love to be scared. The problem is I see every scare coming a mile away. Now, Bob's Burgers is another show that I have seen crop up on a lot of Halloween TV lists lately. But this episode, for whatever reason, has gone completely neglected. Everybody's talking about Full Bars from season three, which is a great Halloween episode, but it is not my favorite. As with many things, I was not aware of Bob's Burgers for a very long time. In fact, I only started watching the show earlier this year. Thank you, Alan. And I'm so glad that I finally became aware of it because it is such a great show. They have done also a handful of Halloween episodes. Now, granted, I am a big fan of the character of Louise, and this is a very Louise-centric episode, so that undoubtedly has something to do with my love for it, but it's also just such a great story. It aired on October 18th, 2015. It is the third episode of the show's sixth season, and it tells the tale of little Louise Belcher, who it's revealed has never been scared by a haunted house. She's been to haunted houses, but they've just never scared her. So her parents promise her a genuine scare this Halloween. And I, I want to go into so much more detail, but I really can't. There is a twist in this episode that is a huge part of what makes it so friggin' fantastic. Just trust me. It's a great episode. And because of the nature of Bob's Burgers, you can watch it by itself. Much like horror fiction from Community, you know, you don't have to have seen anything leading up to it. And I highly recommend that. Number two on the list. If I had to pick a favorite, it would probably be this one. But I'm not picking favorites, so, so I'm not officially saying that. It is Halloween from My So-Called Life. When I was little, I, like, worshipped Halloween. And truthfully, part of me still does. If you were a teenager at any point in the 90s, 
you're probably at least vaguely familiar with My So-Called Life. It was a phenomenal and painfully short-lived drama series starring Claire Danes as introspective high school sophomore Angela Chase, trying to suss out who she is while tackling the multitude of issues that 15-year-olds so often face. The show also featured incredible performances from Wilson Cruz, A.J. Langer, Tom Irwin, and a much less annoying Jared Leto before the whole world started pinning ribbons to him every time he turned around. I was obsessed with My So-Called Life when it aired in 94, and my love for the series has only grown stronger over the decades. Halloween is the show's ninth episode. It was released on October 27th of 1994, and it is definitely one of my favorite episodes from the series. Part of what makes this episode so great is the fact that it was the first time that this series ever asked the question, who says that this very real, very hard world that we live in can't also contain a little magic? A lot happens in in Halloween. Too much for me to go into everything, but the main story begins when Angela's friends tell her the story of Nikki Driscoll, a former Liberty High student who died tragically on Halloween back in the early 60s. Angela becomes fixated on Nikki, romanticizing him as a kind of spiritual ancestor to Jordan Catalano, the living boy that she unrequitedly loves. Angela's best friend Rayanne decides they should break into the school later that night and try to summon Nikki's spirit, a plan which doesn't quite pan out the way they thought it would. What's special about this episode, apart from what I've already mentioned, is firstly getting to see its sizable cast of characters all dressed up in costumes, from Graham and Patty's Pirate and Rapunzel combo, which seemed to be cursed with some kind of crazy sex powers, to Sharon Chersky's ambiguous cat outfit, and perhaps most memorably, the fiercely fashionable Ricky Vasquez dressing up as conservative nerd Brian Krakow. Secondly, this show was known for its harsh light-of-day approach to tackling very real issues, so a time-traveling ghost story, which, not to give too much away, is kind of what this turns into for a little while, was a momentarily whimsical breath of fresh air. I'm not sure if this episode would mean quite as much to or have as big an impact on someone who hasn't seen the rest of the series, but I do know that, for me, it's one of my favorite things to watch on Halloween. I watch it every year. It's dreamy, it's spooky, and a little emotionally devastating. Number one on this list, and I saved it for last because it's the Halloween episode that I have been watching the longest. Um, it's been a part of my life for almost my entire life, and that is The Ghost of A Chance from The Dick Van Dyke Show. You're an urgent. Nope, the cabin is haunted. Well, what do you mean haunted? You mean ghosts and chains and... <laughs> all that stuff? Joke if you want to, but nobody has slept a full night in that cabin in three years. Released in late September of 1964, The Ghost of H. Hance makes no mention of Halloween at all, but it really doesn't have to. It is a more appropriate watch for Halloween than almost any of the other episodes I've talked about tonight, really. Like, apart from maybe Monster Movie. So this is kind of a nice bookmark. You know, we got Monster Movie and Ghost of a Chance, neither of which are actually Halloween episodes, but they work so well for the holiday. The Dick Van Dyke Show went the creepy route a few times during its five-season run, and they nailed it every single time. Much like Buffy, they just got it right every time. There was an episode called It May Look Like a Walnut, in which Rob has this genuinely unnerving nightmare um, after watching an alien invasion movie on Insomniac Theater, which isn't actually all that different from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And uh, it's, it creeps me out. Still, there are some really creepy moments in that episode. And then in Long Night's Journey and Today, Laura and Millie get like thoroughly freaked out when the guys go out of town and leave them all alone in the house. But nothing quite compares to The Ghost of A Chance, wherein Rob 
Bob, Laura, Buddy, and Sally trek out to a remote lodge in the Catskill Mountains to help Alan Brady with a new show he's developing. When they get there, though, the concierge tells them that there are no rooms available, as Mel Cooley, their producer, forgot to book them in advance, and now the lodge is all full up. After a lengthy negotiation and a couple of bribes, the concierge reluctantly reveals that there is a small cabin on the grounds that they could use for the weekend, but warns that the cabin is haunted. He tells them the tragic story of a man named Amos Chance, who was murdered in the cabin and is rumored to have chased potential guests away for three years as a spirit. The bulk of the episode takes place inside this supposedly haunted cabin, and I could probably devote an entire hour to all the campy, hilarious, and even at times actually kind of spooky moments that move Rob and the gang along the road to being scared out of their wits. A fireplace roars to life all by itself, a rocking chair rocks on its own, the fold-away sofa seems to be a little hungry for human flesh, and a mustachioed spirit poses ominously in all available mirrors. This episode also includes a fun cameo from Milton Parsons, who appeared in a massive number of thriller, suspense, and horror projects throughout his career, such as Cry of the Werewolf, Bury Me Dead, Abbott and Costello's Hold That Ghost, and even several episodes of The Twilight Zone. He played a lot of butlers and chauffeurs for decades, and with good reason. It's great to see him camp it up as an unbalanced caretaker for a few seconds on the Dick Van Dyke show. Rob, Laura, Sally, and Buddy they've been scared plenty of times on the show, you know, in almost every conceivable way. So seeing them go ballistic over a ghost isn't necessarily new, but everything else we see in this episode feels surprising and fresh and fun for the series. Um, and what I love most about it is the ending, which I will not spoil here. Much like The Haunting, I want you to experience the ending of Ghost of a Chance yourself. And you can do it very easily because this is a Dick Van Dyke show. It's, it's ancient. So it's not hard to find this episode, and I just, I, I highly recommend watching it. The episode was released at the end of September, and I think the ending is like the perfect parting gift to the audience to send them off into October in the Halloween spirit. I watch this episode every single year without fail, and I'll be watching it this Halloween for sure. So that's my list. Those are my favorite Halloween-themed TV episodes. Other Halloween episode favorites recommended to me by my friends, my coworkers, and my patrons include Halloween from The King of the Hills second season, which is one of Jordy's top picks, both of New Girl's Halloween episodes, courtesy of Jason, the second one featuring drunk Jess in a Batman costume, trying and failing to correctly pronounce the word Batmobile, and lastly, but certainly not least, Eli's favorites, which I also watched a lot growing up, practically every Roseanne Halloween episode. So what about you guys out there? What are your favorite Halloween TV episodes? If I neglected to mention yours, there are a couple of ways that you can let me know. You can email me at finalgirlconfessions at gmail.com, or if you don't hate this podcast, you might consider joining my Discord, and you'll find an open invitation to the Discord in the About Me section of my Patreon page, or in the description below my excerpts on YouTube. Which reminds me, I'm also now posting excerpts from Confessions episodes on YouTube. Right now I only have one posted, but I will be posting them in the months to come. I just thought it'd be kind of fun to have an additional platform to somewhere else that I can post 
bits and pieces. What I intend to do with that is to just select what I think are some of like the better representations of what I'm trying to do here with my new messy little podcast and post those excerpts. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, thank you so much to my patrons. You guys are just so awesome. And I know that I'm still in very early stages of this, trying to figure out exactly what this podcast is and feeling it all out. And you guys are just so great to to be offering your support through that. And the same honestly goes to everyone out there who has joined the Discord, who have sent me, you know, positive feedback or constructive criticism. Those of you who are supporting this podcast in whatever way you can, this is a passion project for me. As I said earlier, it's something that I've always wanted to be able to do. And I, and I'm really glad to have an avenue through which I can do it, but I am new. <laughs> so your patience and feedback are deeply and profoundly appreciated. This episode was a bit of a mishmash. I had a lot that I wanted to cover and talk about, uh, but I hope you enjoyed it. And next week, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about next week because I did have a plan in mind, but I don't know if it will be technically possible. I, I'm not sure. So I have a backup plan. I just don't know yet which plan is going to need to come to fruition. So we'll, we'll see. I really hope that your third week of October is a spectacularly spooky one. And, and I hope some of you are actually out seeing the new Zombieland right now. I didn't see it tonight because Friday nights are the nights that I record my podcast. So I'm, I'm here. I'm doing this. Um, and I would rather be doing this, but I am definitely going to be seeing Zombieland on Sunday. I'm really excited. Double tap. Happy two weeks before Halloween, guys. It was great talking with you. Hopefully I'll see you over on the Discord. If not, until next time, creep it real. 